Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, today we begin our 21 days of Pray First that we've been doing for years and years and years. And so today I want to really give you some basics on putting God first. You've probably heard the saying, you know, all is well that ends well. And, uh, you know, I suppose that's true, but I think it's even better to say all is well that starts well. Start your year right. Put God first in your year. So what we're asking everybody to do is during this 21-day period, we want you to seek God at a higher intensity than what you have before and take some time for fasting. Now, in the, in the church today, in Western culture, uh, fasting is pretty rare. Right? However, Jesus said this. He said, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. Jesus believed that all of his disciples, all of his followers would fast. I think it's interesting that Jesus fasted for 40 days before he began his ministry. By the way, when you fast one day, if you've never done it before, you think you'll die. Your body will tell you you're going to die, but you won't. Right? Uh, I, I should say this right off the bat. If you have really, if you have health issues, you should consult a physician. But I've read so many articles about how fasting is actually good for you. It's not bad for you. Right? So... Jesus fasted 40 days. Now, a typical fast, a biblical fast, there's, there's, we're going to talk about three kinds, all right? But the, the normal fast is simply water, all right? And it is a 24-hour period. It says in Isaiah 58 and verse 6, the day for a man to afflict his soul, right? It's talking about fasting, and it's calling it a day. Typically, because the, the, the Jewish camp, the Jewish day begins when sun sets. So they'd have a meal before sunset, and then they would go the 24 hours, and when the sun set again, they would have a meal, right? It was a day, and that is the normal fast, right? It's a day. Jesus went for 40 days. He's out in the desert. The Bible actually says that God came and ministered to him. The angels, excuse me, came and ministered to him. Now, this, this is the fasting does not change God, all right? It changes you, but it connects you with God at a deeper level. And then uh, it mentions after the 40 days, it says that Jesus was hungry. Well, somebody says, I'm hungry in six hours. What do you, what do you mean 40 days and then he's hungry? Well, on an, on an extended fast, after someplace between 48 and 36 hours, usually, your body no longer runs on food. Because right now your body's probably running on food, but it starts to run on fat. Right? And so the hunger literally disappears. Like in, uh, in 30 minutes, I'll have completed five days of a water fast. I am not hungry at all, like zero, right? Zero, because your body switches over and starts running on fat. So when the fat is gone, that's when you're hungry again, 
right? And so it mentions that Jesus, after 40 days, he was hungry. I think some of us could fast a lot longer. <laughs> some of us more, some of, some of us more, some of us less. <laughs> All right? So when you fast, and notice what Jesus said, but your father who sees in the secret place, your father who sees in that secret place, he will reward you openly. All right? So there are rewards for fasting. And we're going to look at those in just a moment. But I want to talk about two things that, are, that, that very clearly fasting does. And first of all, it's to afflict your soul. Now, you are three parts. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 says, May the very God of peace sanctify you completely, spirit, soul, and body. Right? Uh, psych- psychology does not even recognize the fact that you are a spirit. But the real you is a spirit. Right? And you live inside of a body. And you have a soul. And your soul, in one word, is your mind. Right? Now, when you become a Christian, by the way, your soul does not get saved. Your spirit gets saved. In James chapter 1, in verse 21, it says this. It says, to receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Right? So he's talking to Christians and he's telling them God's word will save your soul. Or we can say it this way, will change the way you think. Because the salvation of your soul and the renewing of your mind are two ways to say the exact same thing. So when you become a Christian, if anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, if, when you become a Christian, how many of you know you don't get a new body? If you were ugly, still ugly. If you were skinny, still skinny. If you were bald, or getting there, <laughs> your, your, your body doesn't change. But the Bible says you're new. Right? And how many of you know your thoughts don't instantly change? Right? You still have got your same stinking thinking. But your spirit changes because your spirit is made new. That's the part of you that is born again. It's your spirit that gets born again. So it says it's a day for a man to afflict his soul. And by the way, Isaiah 58, the entire chapter is about fasting. And it says it's to afflict your soul, or we can say your mind. Um, I'd say a good illustration. We We have a good friend. Her name is Liz. Liz was an alcoholic for 22 years, became a Christian, and was still an alcoholic. She would read her Bible and drink whatever she was drinking, you know. Um, She went on a 40-day, how would we say this? I could say media fast, but it was a 40-day screen fast. No television, no social media, nothing for 40 days. She said at the end of the 40 days, Jesus literally showed up in her her kitchen. Now, she had what we would refer to, well, biblically you refer to as an open vision. Now, in the Bible, there's three types of visions. Many of you know this. The first is called a night vision. It's just having a dream. God can speak to you in dreams. Probably two months ago, I, I had... And by the way, when God shows up in a dream, it's very vivid. Very vivid, a very vivid dream, right? Um, 
just a couple months ago, I had a, 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 well, I would call it a divine or a supernatural dream. But then there's another type of a vision. Now, the Apostle Paul is on his way to Damascus. Jesus appears to him in a vision. He falls off the donkey. Jesus talks to him, and he gets up, listen, and the Bible says, and opened his eyes. So he had a vision, but his eyes were closed, right? But the third type of a vision is an open vision. In the book of Samuel, it says that the, day, the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no open vision. When it's an open vision, your eyes are wide open, but you don't see the natural world, you see into the spiritual world. Well, literally, after 40 days, Jesus walked into her kitchen, totally set her free. That fast, that fast. Now, I'm going to uh, read to you from Isaiah 58, and this is talking about the rewards of fasting, right? Is, it, is, not the fa- is not this the fast I've chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. Anybody have some sin they can't get rid of? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo heavy, heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. You know, there's people, they, they have stuff on their life, but they're not getting free. But one of the rewards of fasting is it breaks every yoke. Now, notice. Now, I want to say this. Fasting does not change God. Fasting changes you. It puts you in a position to connect with God. So, you see, one of the things God wants is he wants us to have some compassion. So it says, this day of fasting, is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. And when you see you're naked, that you cover them. And don't hide yourself from your own flesh. First of all, it's talking about people in need. It says, do something. Do something. Hey, maybe you know a single mother. Uh, she could use some financial help. She could use some help. Help her out. Um, if you don't know what to do, there's a lot of great organizations that you can give to. Uh, We have a benevolence program here. We feed a lot of people every week. But you need to do something during that time with finances to take and help the afflicted, the poor. And, by the way, somebody who's been sexually trafficked, the House of Hope would be a great project. But do something. And then notice it says, don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Uh, You say, what is that talking about? Well, it's talking about your relatives, And when you have a family reunion, that person you don't want to see, God says, you need to get right. Forgive them and get it right. See, what's happening, God's dealing with us, right? We're forgiving people. We're showing compassion to people. Then then your light will break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he'll say, here I am. And it uh, goes on and there's, there's more that are rewards for fasting. But I just want you to understand that Jesus said, your father who sees in secret, he will reward you openly. Right? So it, it's, it's not that you change God because God was the same before, during, and after your fast. But what happens is because you take your soul 
and you afflict your soul. You don't give your soul, your mind, what it wants, that entertainment that it wants, that connection with other people that it wants. You don't give it that, right? Now, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27 says this, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Least when I preach to others, I myself could become disqualified. So Paul is writing this. And let me remind you, Paul had a vision of Jesus. Paul went to heaven, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, saw things. He said, I can't even tell you what, was, what I saw and what I heard in heaven. And then he wrote almost half of the New Testament. Right? And uh, Paul said, my body gives me trouble. Right? Now, if his body gave him trouble, let me think you might have some trouble. Solomon was God's wisest man. He had trouble with his body. David was God's best man. He had trouble with his body. Samson was God's strongest man. He had trouble with his body. So all you men, you have trouble. And I think you girls do too. All right? But he said, if I just listen to my body, he said, I'm going to be in trouble. Do you know, for Christmas, I wanted three pieces of pie. That's what my body wanted, three pieces of pie. My spirit said no. All right? But when you fast, your body will tell you you're going to die. And again, you will not die. You will not die. Right? So I, the spirit man, the person on the inside, says, I discipline my body and I bring it. So your body is not you. Your body is it. Your body is the house that your spirit lives in. Right? In fact, to stay on earth, you need one. The Bible says in James chapter 2, the last verse, as the body without the spirit is dead. So what death really is, is just when the real you moves out of that, that body. Right? So he says, I bring it into subjection, at least when I've preached to others, I should become disqualified. Paul said, if I just let my body do what it wanted to do, I would be disqualified from doing the things I'm doing. See, your body is not a Christian. Your spirit's a Christian. Your body's a heathen. And your spirit needs to take dominion over your body. And that's what Paul's saying. He said, I discipline my body. I, the spirit, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. So when you don't eat, how many of you know your body likes to eat? Right? And when you don't eat, your spirit is saying to your body, no. How many of you know your spirit needs to tell your body no quite often? Right? But what happens when you take a time and you just say, I'm going I'm to seek God during this period of time. Right? What happens is your spirit rises up. Right? And the same thing with your soul. The psalmist said this. He said, my soul clings to the dust. And it could literally be translated the garbage or the garbage can. It's like my, my soul goes to some of the wrong stuff. Right? But you discipline your soul. Right? You afflict your soul. You don't give your soul what you want what it wants. You don't give your body what it wants. And you take that time and you begin to seek God. Now, that's the, the normal fast, 24 hours, just drink water. Daniel is nearly 80 years old in Daniel chapter 10. And he said this, and in those days, I, Daniel, Daniel was mourning three full weeks, 21 days. I ate no pleasant food, no meat, or wine came to my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. 
until the three whole weeks were fulfilled. So literally, this is where we get our 21 days from. And this is either referred to as a Daniel fast or a partial fast. You'll notice what Daniel did. He ate no bread, no sugar, no meat, and only drank water. So he's eating lagoons. He's eating dairy. He's eating vegetables, right? Uh, some of you, well, for, for 1,500 years, almost all Christians fasted every Tuesday and every Thursday. 260 years ago, John Wesley is starting what is today the Methodist denomination. To be a minister in the Methodist denomination, you had to sign a contract that every Tuesday and every Thursday you would fast. Now, when I was growing up, we saw some of the ends of it. Um, during, During a certain time of the year, Certain denominations would have people give something up as you'd be coming towards Easter, right? They'd call it Lent. And they'd say, for Lent, you give up coffee, you give up chocolate, you give up something. Well, it, was, it really related back here to the Daniel fast of giving something up during that period of time, right? And then I recall, how many remember the Lent thing? How many remember Lent? Giving something up? Quite, quite a few. Uh, I remember when I was young, um, our Catholic neighbors on Friday always ate fish because it wasn't considered meat. Anybody remember that? And uh, I don't even think that Catholics do that anymore. But it was kind of like the end of the fasting. Right? But Jesus said, when you fast, Jesus expected his disciples to fast. And I think it's interesting. Paul said, if I don't do this, he said, I would not have control in my life. So I think, it, I think that's very, very interesting. So there's a Daniel fast, which is a partial fast. And that's what we're, you know, some of us are, are starting off with a full fast and then going into a Daniel fast, or you can do a Daniel fast. Or there's another type of fast in Acts chapter 10 where he didn't eat, but literally what he did, he missed a meal. He didn't eat until the sixth hour, all right? So that would be noon, all right? So he missed breakfast. And maybe it doesn't work for you to do something else. We're asking everybody, you, you, you kind of uh, set your own, your own pace or your own schedule on what you want to do, but we're asking everybody to do something, right? Do something and take extra time to seek God, right? And again, I, I think that social media fast, uh, how many of you think that fasting the news might be good for you? All that constant negative news, you don't need it, all right? Now... Uh, see, I don't want to skip too much. So I, I want to give you a different definition of prayer than what you've probably had in your mind. Most people, when they think of prayer, most Christians, they think of prayer and they think prayer is my talking to God. All right. I would define prayer as connecting with God. First of all, right. So that's talking to God and listening. If all you do is you if all I did was talk to Jeannie, it would not be good. She wants to be heard. Right? And in our, relation, in, in, in our relationship with the Lord, we, we, we need to talk, right? but we need to listen. Right? Now, sometimes it's an impression, but I want to just say this. Also, meditating in the Word of God, spending time in the Word of God, that's part of connecting with God. Even resisting the ungodly, resisting the enemy, right? 
What we're doing is we're connecting more with God and we're resisting the enemy with his power. So I would define, define prayer as connecting with God, confronting the enemy, right? Then prayer ought to be an ongoing conversation with God in every area of our life. Now, the ideal we find way back in Genesis chapter three, we've got Adam and Eve, they're in the garden of Eden. God comes down in the cool of the day. And God walks and talks with Adam and Eve, right? Now, I want you to think about this. Adam and Eve, they didn't really have any problems. They weren't afraid of anything. There was no anxiety. There were no hurts to heal. They were healthy. They had no addictions. They had no in-law problems, no marriage problems, no money problems, no legal problems. No sickness and no regrets. So what did they do with God? Because most Christians, if you didn't have something to ask God for, you, you would know what to do. But here we have the absolute ideal, and they're just walking with God. They're fellowshipping with God. They're connecting with God. Right? The Bible says this in Revelation 4, in verse 11. For thy pleasure they, that's us, were created. Now, we were created for God's pleasure, right? for us to enjoy God and for God to enjoy us. You know, I've heard people say, the purpose for your life is to save souls. No, Adam and Eve didn't have any souls to save. Did they? No, there were no souls to save. There were no problems to ask relief for. But what they could do is they could enjoy God and fellowship with God. Right? Um, Jeannie and I, for those of you who don't know, we've been married for 47 years, but we have four kids and 19 grandkids. Right? Now, and of course, you all know this, but grandkids are smarter than kids. And they're your reward for not killing your kids. <laughs> But, uh, you know, our, our life, some of our life revolves around our kids, our grandkids. And uh, we were uh, just yesterday at our son Samuel and uh, Becca's house. They have five kids. And uh, Bo is the youngest. He's seven. All right. But when I show up, first thing he does, he comes over. He just throws his arms around me and, and hugs me. And then he wants to sit on my lap. And I'm like, Bo, what's going on? And he starts talking. You know, I can hardly understand him. And I'm just like, kid, you're awesome. What do you want? Anything you want. I'm all here. You know what I enjoy? I just enjoy fellowshipping with him. All right. I remember playing hide and seek with the grandkids. Now, I would hide, but I was not trying to hide. I was trying to be found. Right? So the Bible says this, it says the glory of God is to conceal a matter and the glory of kings is to search out a matter. You see, God has things in his word that are hidden, but they're not hidden from you. They're hidden for you, right? You get on daddy's lap, you get on God's lap, you start fellowshipping with God and the spirit of God just starts to reveal all of those things that are not hidden from you that are hidden for you, all right? Now, again, we've been married for 47 years. Um, 
we've slowed down a bit. Uh, when we first got married, this is no kidding. Jeannie, at five, every, every morning at five o'clock, we haven't slowed down there though. Uh, she would jump up and dance around the bed. She does not dance around the bed anymore. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But, you know, <laughs> she has made me a morning person. But one of the first things I want to do, I want to give her a kiss. Right? And uh, we were going to do our confessions together. And, and hopefully, most days, we get to have breakfast together. And I come into work. But you know what? I'm going to give her a call just to find out what's going on. I don't need anything. Don't need to know anything, really. But I just want to connect. All right? I want to know her. I want to be with her. I want to connect with her. Now, the Bible literally talks about our relationship with God in the same way. It says that Christ in the church, it's a mystery like a man and a woman in marriage. Right? We, we, it, 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 it's, it's where God wants to have fellowship with us. We want to be walking with God every day. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Enoch lived 65 years. He begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. He had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch for 365 years, Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. All right? Now, this is the only recorded time that this has ever happened, and it probably is the only time it ever happened. Right? But Enoch has fellowship with God. Enoch walks with God. And one day, they're out for a walk. Enoch's just living with God, fellowshipping with God, and it's time to go home. I think God said, hey, we're closer to my house than yours. Let's go. God took him to heaven. He has been there ever since, like 5,000 years. Right? But what was he doing? He was walking with God. I think it's interesting. The Bible says Noah walked with God. Really, what, what the Christian life should be is walking with God. Smith Wigglesworth, some of you know who he is. Let me just mention uh, early, tw early 20th century. Um, he, was, he was an evangelist, but he had literally had revival on every inhabited continent. And he, he was referred to as the apostle of faith. When uh, he was approached, he was asked, uh, do, do you, how many hours have you, do you pray? And this is what he said. And I think this is, this is so telling. He said, I seldom pray for a half an hour. He said, but seldom is there a half hour I don't pray. So what, what he's saying is my, my, my connection with God is not 15, just 15 minutes in the morning or half hour in the morning. But my connection with God is all day. It's every day. It's all day. You walk with God. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And what's he talking about? Loving God in every way. It's at all times. Right? It, it, a big part of walking with God, by the way, is being in the word of God and meditating on the word. Of course, whether it's, it's Psalms 1 says this. It says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Joshua said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate 
therein day and night. Uh, so we're, we're constantly, we're thinking about the word. When anything comes up, the first, thing, the first thing that we should think is, what does the word say? What does the Bible say? Whatever comes up. For, for so many Christians, it's like the last thing. They tell us that less than 10% of Christians have a biblical worldview. You say, what does that mean? That 10% of Christians, whatever the situation is, go to the Bible to find out what's the right thing to do and live that way. Less than 10% of Christians. But it should be all of us. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. And of course, Isaiah 6 and 23. You will keep him in perfect peace. How many would like that? Whose mind, literally, imagination, is stayed on him. You know, when we're constantly taking the word of God and applying it to our life, imagining this is, how it, this is what I should do because of the word. All right? When we're constantly putting the word in our, in our mind, in our imagination, he says he will keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace. But you can't have perfect peace and have your mind going crazy. Right? You, can't, you can't be filling it with what the world's filling their minds with right? and have perfect peace. But you can have perfect peace. You can have peace when your banker doesn't know what to do because this world's not your source. God's your source. He said, David said it this way. He said, I was young and now I'm old. He said, but I haven't seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. You know, you can know because your mind is stayed on him that no matter what happens, you're going to be all right. And I love that verse. I was young and now I'm old. There's some things that you just have to live a while to find out. Any old people in here going to say, amen? I'm, I'm middle-aged yet. <laughs> middle-aged till you're 80. Come on. All right. Now, just one last little thought. Um, a lot of people really, when it comes to prayer, they're not really petitioning God as much as they are complaining to God. We're talking about everything that's wrong. In fact, uh, this was many, this was, this was so many years ago, right? That Jeannie was talking to God, but she was actually complaining about me. This was before I became perfect, of course. <laughs> she, she would complain, you know, he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that and he doesn't appreciate this and he doesn't appreciate that. And, and, uh, and God literally like rebuked her and just like, quit complaining. You're not praying, you're complaining. You know? And uh, the Lord led her to Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, and, and a few other scriptures. But each one of those has a prayer in it. Now, these are prayers that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are the will of God. Right? And um, I pray at least one of those Ephesians prayers every single day. All right? But back then, I wasn't doing this. And so God impressed Jeannie, pray those prayers, but put Dwayne's name in it. Right? So she started to pray the prayers and put my name in the prayers. Now, I didn't know. I did not know. Um, it was about three months later. I came to Jeannie and I said, Jeannie, I do not know what has happened to me. 
I said, but every time I open the Bible, man, I have revelation. I'm seeing this. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing this. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing the next thing. And she's just like, (laughs) you know, we think we can change our mate, but you, you can't change your mate. But you know what? God can change your mate. God can change your mate. And we need to bring, not complain in prayer, but bring the word of God. In fact, God says over in Isaiah, put me in remembrance. It's put me in remembrance of my word. You know, you've heard the the, the people say this because I've heard it so many times. Well, you never know what God's going to do. Well, the truth is we do. In Mark 20, it says this, confirming the word through accompanying signs. You know what God's going to do? He's going to do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's going to do chapter and verse. And when we go to God in prayer, we need to bring the solution to the problem. Right? What's the solution? The word. And put him in remembrance of the word of God. Say, would you bow your heads for, for just a moment? This week I was thinking about a truth, a spiritual truth. There's no other faith or religion on earth that has a savior. Think about that. Um, the Krishnas, they, they shave their head and they, they put on a robe and take a, a vow of poverty. And, and by doing that, they're, they're trying to earn salvation. In Islam, the only way you can know for sure you're going to be saved is jihad, killing infidel. In Buddhism, you know, there's the, there's the noble truths about suffering. And you, 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 try to empty desire and then you're going to receive your karma and you're going to you're you're trying to pay for the sins of your last life and you'll come back they think in another life to pay for your sin by the way the bible says it's appointed for a man to die once and after that the judgment you don't come back as a cat or a dog or a hippopotamus or a chicken or another person no it's appointed for a man to die once But Christianity has a savior. Romans 3.20 says that no one has ever been made right with God. Not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, by the works of the law or by being a good person. No one has ever earned their salvation. But in Hebrews 10, it says it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person. That perfect person was Jesus, God in the flesh. And he went to the cross and suffered and shed his blood. And it was a perfect sacrifice. And it was to perfect some very imperfect people. I think you and I qualify as the imperfect people. It says, and by that single offering, which Jesus did on the cross, he did everything that's needed to be done for everyone that takes place in the purifying process. Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood for you and for me and paid for our sin. And literally by what he did, he took your hand and put it in God's hand. Now it's not enough to just know that, even to believe that. The Bible says in John chapter one, to as many as receive him, To them, he gives the right to be the children of God. You need to receive Jesus. 
What does that mean? That means you give him all of your heart and life. You receive him as your king. And you, rec- you, you receive the forgiveness that his blood purchased for you. You receive it. You say, God, I receive that forgiveness. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I know Jesus' blood paid for me. And I receive him as my king and as my Lord. Now, the Bible says that whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what I would like to do right now, for those of you that are here, you're online, we're going to call on the Lord the way the Bible tells us to. And if you're away from God, you don't know where you stand with God, if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when you say amen at the end of this prayer, you're going to be right with God. So I'm going to ask everybody, as your heads bowed, eyes closed, I want you to make these words your own. I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again, victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I turn my back on my old life. And I receive Jesus as my King, my Lord, and my Savior. And I'm going to live for him. Thank you, you've heard my prayer. My past is gone. And I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.